Amen. You may be seated. You know, waiting on the Lord is one of the most difficult things that we may find ourselves doing in this life, but it is by faith that we wait upon God. And so this morning we're reminded of that. I hope that if you walked in this morning, someone handed you a bulletin, and in that bulletin there are some notes. And uh, in fact, Marcy, I need my notes. Um, I have not yet memorized this entire sermon, so um, I want to uh, be able to have those. Why do we use notes in the life of our church? Because studying the Bible is important. We have a lot of programming from the outside. We have a lot of programming from the world. And God's Word is worth our study. It has been given to us that we may know. We still have some folks over here on this side that need some. So if you're online with us, you can find the notes even for this message right now on our website. So you can go and click on those and download those and print them out. And I believe that it will help you as we study the Word of God. Now, um, I've thought about different things that happen in our life that are milestones. Um, some of you had a vacation in life that was a real milestone for you. You look back on it and it really pulled your family together and it was a great experience or something. Um, or there was another event, maybe for some of you, you went to a conference and maybe a Bible conference, maybe it was a spiritual um, uh, truth teaching conference and, and you would say, man, that thing, it, it really had an impact on me. It changed the way I look at some things. It changed my life. Well, it's been my prayer that our study on the Lord's Supper would be one of those milestones. It would be one of those things that deepen you, deepen us. So we've talked about that a little bit this morning. We know that already, as we look, have looked at 1 Corinthians, that there are um, some real instructions that are given by the Apostle Paul to the church at Corinth. So when we talk about 1 Corinthians, that is a church. There was a church in the city of Corinth. And um, they, had, they had been planted and they were growing and it was a popular place to be apparently. It was a large church. But Paul got word that they had some real problems in their midst. And so we're returning again to the book of Corinthians, because the book of Corinthians deals with the Lord's Supper a great deal. Notice on your sermon outline here, we want to remember what is our goal in this study. And I didn't have you fill these in before, but I want to ask you to do that this morning because I really want you to know why we're studying what we're studying. Our goal in this series is to understand the meaning of the Lord's Supper. There's many people who are confused about the meaning. So we want to understand the meaning of the Lord's Supper, and we also want to have God's purpose for it in our lives. We want to understand God's purpose for the Lord's Supper in our lives. So we devote ourselves to this. In our first message on the Lord's Supper, um, a review uh, from previous weeks, we saw the Old Testament origin was, the first week message was, the Old Testament origin was God's deliverance of His people from Egypt when death passed over the homes of the blood of the lamb applied on the doorway. Now, there's many of you that said, man, I just never put together the last supper that Jesus had with his disciples. Somehow I just missed the fact that that was an ongoing feast that they had had year, on, year in and year out for hundreds of years, pointing back to the deliverance from Egypt. That's exactly what it, what it was. Number two, God commanded His people to annually remember His rescue from Egypt by the Passover meal. That was the command. 
You remember this. You teach it to your sons. When they say, what happened? When your sons and daughters say, what happened? You say, the Lord delivered me from this. We see that that was part of the Passover meal. Number three, Jesus and his disciples celebrate, remember what we called it? The last Passover supper. We, we often call it the last supper, but I want you to get that it was the Passover meal that they were suffering, that, that, that they were observing. So it was the last Passover supper on the night before his crucifixion. And then number four, where we were this last week. Now, everybody look at the screen. Remember this one? The, the, the message was the antidote for idolatry. The fact that this table is an antidote. It's both a prophylactic and it is a therapeutic. It can prevent idolatry if we remember what Jesus has done. And if we fall into certain idolatries of our heart, if we fall away from making Jesus our first affection, and we start offering sacrifices to other gods in this life, the Lord's Supper can call it out. And the Lord's Supper can call us out of that. And so, uh, it can prevent and it can be a therapy to us to get us straightened out. So number four is Paul's first letter to the church at Corinth makes clear that true Christians cannot live wicked lives and claim salvation with Christ at his table of sacrifice. And we're going to see that ever more clearly as we go to the next chapter this morning. But, you know, last week, I missed the last two points. And whenever I do that, of course, there's a chorus of you that go, Pastor, you didn't finish the sermon. And so let me finish the sermon right here. It was 1 Corinthians 10, 21 through 22. Notice the passage there in verse 21. Look what it says in verse 21. You cannot drink the cup of who? The Lord. And what? The cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? What does that mean? Our God will not allow his children to worship other gods. He says, you shall have no other gods before me. Especially as we see here, the, the final result is that those are gods of demons. So notice here, verse 22, shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? Do we think we're going to get away with it? No. So number six that I didn't say last week was, do not be deceived that idolatries of the world are the idolatries of demons. You might just be tempted to think, oh, this is just a little worldly stuff. It's just a little bit of temporal stuff. It's not that big a deal. But when our heart begins to follow after those things, we start to see that there are, there, there's demonic force seeking to pull us away from true worship of God. Notice this underneath there. You cannot worship Christ and the devil. It's one or the other. And you can go to Revelation 3. You can go to Joshua. As You, you, you remember what Joshua, he stands before the people and he says, choose you this day whom you will serve. Either the gods that you worshiped before or the Lord. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. This is the message of Scripture. 
that we would call, that we would follow after the true worship of Christ. Look at number seven, the solution, the solution. Repent and turn away from earthly idols. Worship Christ alone. So what, is it, what do we do when we find these things? We repent and we turn away from them. That's what a Christian does. And we worship Christ alone. And we see, and notice this, don't miss that line underneath number seven. I want you to see this. Some of the Corinthians listened. In fact, many of the Corinthians listened to Paul's letter in First, first um, Corinthians. And when we see in 2 Corinthians, if you read chapters 6 and 7, you see that he commends them for turning away to God. You see, there's hope for you. If you say, my heart has been worshiping things in this life, there's things that my heart loves more than it loves God. I've, maybe, maybe, there even, maybe there are things even like grudges or hatred or, or various things that, you know, things that happened that last year or things that happened two decades ago, or many more than that, who knows, for some of us, there are other things you say, well, I don't worship those things. Yeah, but when you guard those, when you protect those, when you don't surrender those, you are ultimately worshiping those. And what God calls us to do is to come and to lay it down, whether it's an obsession with a car, whether it's an obsession with a game, whether it's an obsession with lust, whether it's an obsession with sex, whether it's an obsession with status or a retirement or children, or now I'm starting to feel it, grandchildren. Never knew what that was like until it happens, by the way. You sit there and you just look at those pictures. You just sit there and look at them. And you look at them and you go, man, that's so... So awesome, and it is. There's something very special about that. But friends, we are called to truly worship humbly Christ alone, and that's that's where we've been so far. Now we come to the next chapter. So we were in chapter 10 last week. Well, now turn in your Bible to 1 Corinthians and chapter chapter 11, and I want us to see this. In fact, this passage, whereas last Sunday was you probably had never heard a passage. Um, preached on that concerning the Lord's Supper, um, this passage is just the opposite. Most passages, um, mo- most observances of the Lord's Supper observe this passage, and we'll deal with this passage. And so it's on the back side. We're going to read that in just a minute. But let's, let's first, and let's, let's remember here the background, and we're going to fly through this real quick. Number one, the Corinthian church had gotten off track in many ways. Fill that in. They were a church that had gotten off track. And how had they gotten off track? Number two, they had immorality problems. They were not honoring God with their lives, they, they had, with their morals. They had unity problems. They were very, very divided. From the get-go, you see some are Apollo, some are Paul, some are Peter, some are, well, I'm from Jesus Christ. You know, they're, they're all opposed to one another. In fact, this letter in part is a response to a letter that, the, that they had written to the Apostle Paul. They said, okay, let's write Paul and ask him about these discussions. And that's what 1 Corinthians is about. It's Paul answering them. And he does it so smoothly. I mean, it's amazing the way he does it. You, you, you start to see the way he deals with it. Just chapter by chapter, he's dealing with Of course, the chapters weren't there when he wrote that. But later we see that in the divisions of them, it's helpful. We can see that he's dealing with one issue and he'll say, yes. And he'll talk about one side, and then he'll say, but. 
And then he'll talk about what the other perspective is in the truth. And so then he would come to the next issue and he'd say, yes, this is, and, and he would deal with that issue, of an issue of you know, sacrifices offered to idols or various other things, divisions among who is who and who should they be following, what, what, what other practices should they be keeping or not keeping. He would say yes, and then he would say but. And we're going to see something very interesting in just a moment when it comes to this issue. It's different. But notice here with me, they had totally distorted, they had theological problems as well. Don't want to miss that. Immorality problems, unity problems, theological problems. And here we see that they had totally distorted the purpose and meaning of the Lord's Supper. They had totally messed it up. Look at the first point here. Many were not Jews. So most didn't have the background of the sacred Passover. So imagine that. This is a Greek city they're here in this Greek town, and, and some of them are Greeks, some of them are Jews that are worshiping in this church, and the Jews would have known about the Passover, and they would have known that Jesus was the fulfillment of that, perhaps, and that that's part of what we're celebrating, that this is a, a, a beautiful fulfillment of Passover that we see in Jesus. And so there were some of them that would understand that, but there were many who didn't, and we'll see that very, very Clearly, the Greeks, they wouldn't have known that. They didn't know the depth of it. Notice the next one. They turned the Lord's Supper into a social event. I mean, what we're going to see here is that there would, you know, if you think about the church, it was a diverse church, it was a wide church. There were rich and there were poor. There were slave and there were free in the same church. Now, that's a good thing, as we'll see. But there would be some who, they didn't have to stay at work very long. So when on the appointed night that they're coming together, for church and for the fellowship, they come early. And maybe they bring their food, and it's pretty nice food because they're a little bit more wealthy, and they, you know, they just have a lot. And so they come, and it's a big social event. And they, they have a little bit of wine to wash it down, and you know, they're enjoying that. And then there's working folks that maybe they're not slaves, but they're still, they have to work longer, and they would come a little bit later, and maybe they would just bring their, their, their small little sandwiches. But then there would be the slaves that finally, after their master was settled and after the house was done, he might give them permission to go. And, and you know, some of those relationships were, were probably quite open and, and sweet, and some of them were very harsh. But there would be slaves who would show up much later than everyone else, and most of them had nothing. They, most of them were not even paid. And so when they came, after the party was pretty much over, here they come in and now it's all time for us to observe the Lord's Supper. When you have some of the rich people, three sheets to the wind because they've been bibbing on a little bit of wine for the evening, and then you have the poor slave that walks in and he's hungry, and now it's time to remember that Jesus died for us. That's, that's really the picture of what Paul is dealing with. Notice here, the world's thinking had become their mode of thinking instead of the truth of the gospel that they had originally been taught. They had just kind of morphed into the way the culture thought. Now, to their credit, middle part there, to their credit, they had rich and poor, slave and free, Gentile and Jew in their membership. But they did not treat one another with Christ's likeness whatsoever. They would become angry. They would gossip. They would lie about one another. They had rivalries. 
They had factions. That's one group over here and another group over here and another group over here. We're, we're just not looking like Jesus in any of this. There was a great deal of worldliness in their midst. Notice the next one. They displayed selfishness, disrespect. Circle this one. Inhospitality. They were inhospitable. Disregard. Ooh, another one to circle. Individualism toward each other. This is, does this not sound like 2021? I mean, do we not have trouble with tremendous selfishness in the world, disrespect, inhospitality? We, we don't even know how to host people hardly anymore. And why? Because we're so individualistic. Oh, church, may we run that out of our church. May we do away with these horrible emulations of the culture. May we embrace the mindset that Jesus gave us. Notice the next to the last one. They displayed callous disregard for the sacrifice of Christ and the values of God. They had made the Lord's Supper all about them in a social event. And all of this, fill it in, all of this brought judgment upon them. All of this brought judgment upon them. Let's read the passage and let's see if we can't mine out some truths here. And um, I trust that God will speak to us about our own experience in our own church and in not only your own heart, but the heart of our church. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 17. But in the following instructions, underline it, I do not commend you. See, all of the others up to this point, when they were dealing with the dispute, he said, yes, but, yes, but. Here on this one, he doesn't do that. Look what he says. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you. There's nothing I can commend you. There's, there's no compliment I can make. Because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in this first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. He's saying, your coming together actually does more harm than good. Now, that's a pretty big indictment to level against a church. It'd be better if you didn't even meet. It's got to be pretty bad for that statement to be made. Look at verse 21. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. You thought I was kidding about that. Not kidding about that. Verse 22, look at what he says. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. Do you see the rich language 
in the raw spirit of the Bible. Look, friends, this Bible is for your life. It deals very, very clearly and transparently with us. The Bible is for you, and it deals with your life in this life, in this moment. I mean, I, I love it when I see rebuke in the Scripture that's so clear. I also love it when I see tremendous encouragement and inspiration, right? When it, when it, when it just relates to our heart, and He calms our heart, and he, and he comes and He says, there's no reason to be afraid. Fear not, for I am your God. I am with you. I mean, we, I love the, the, the way that God's Word is so powerful in its, both its rebuke and its healing. I want you to see this, friends, that the Word is for you. Look at verse 23. He goes on with this. He says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when He was betrayed, very important point, on the night when He was betrayed, took bread. And when He had given thanks, He broke it. So it was a whole loaf and the idea is, or it was, a, it was actually a flat piece, and he broke it. It was a solid, uniform piece that he broke and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In verse 25, in the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So if you wanted to put a note out there to the side, verses 17 through 22 is what not to do. Verse 23 through 26 is what to do. Do you see? That the first one is he's pointing out how hideous their behavior is. And then the second one he's saying, I, I taught you guys this already. I already showed you and I already told you that on the night before he went to the cross, he shared this table with us and he told us what he was going to do. See, the Bible makes sense. Look at verse 27. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, underline that, unworthy manner, will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Verse 28, let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink the cup. Verse 29, for anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, underline that, discerning the body, we're going to talk about what that means. For anyone, verse 29, for anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks what? Judgment upon himself. This is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. Verse 31, but if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So I want you to see at that very end, there's, even, there's still redemption in this. He's writing a letter of correction, but, and that's what it is. It's a letter of correction. It's not merely rebuke. It's not, it's not merely a chastisement, but we still see that there's, 
There's room, there's view for change, there's view for repentance, there's, re, there's view here for correction. Look at verse 32, but when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be, look at this, condemned along with the world. That is the Lord's good purpose is to redeem you. Verse 33, so then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, what does it say? Read it out loud. Wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I will give directions when I come. Now, that's kind of my dad when he used to look at me and he would say, We'll talk about this when we get home. Has anybody ever been told that at church? We would run home and jump in bed on Sunday night or Wednesday night and just and try to go to sleep, praying that Dad would forget. He always had meetings after church. And we only lived two blocks over that way. And I remember sometimes going, boy, I'm going to get my rear end tanned, and if I go to sleep, maybe he won't wake me. There were times when he woke me up. He said, you think you're going to get out of this. You're, you're not. You cannot speak to Mr. Pinkerton that way. Literally true. We, we see that Paul was wanting to correct them. And the Holy Spirit through Paul is, is loving the church to the truth. And so we, if we have eyes to see and ears to hear, may we hear the correction and may we come to this table with lives that are ready to remember that the creator of the universe that Mike reminded us of in his prayer, the creator of the universe laid down his life that we may live free and that we may live righteous lives, yes, in this life. And so this is the picture of the Lord's Supper. Let's, let's notice a few things from these verses that we've just read. Number one, the Lord's table or the Lord's Supper serves as a center and a symbol of Christian unity. That's what this is to be. It serves as a center and a symbol of Christian unity. If there's ever a time when the church should be together, it's around the table remembering what makes the church. And what makes the church? The sacrifice of Christ. And so the table of the Lord is when we are together, not just before God, but also before one another, because this is pleasing to Him. When Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment, and it was a bit of an entrapment question, he said, to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he, he went on and he said, you didn't ask for it, but I'll tell you the second greatest commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself, to love the one beside you. And so this table is about not only loving God, but this table is also about the second great commandment, which is to love the brother next to you. Love the sister next to you. That's what we see is God's purpose in this. And this is to center us. This is to bring us back to what is right, to constantly recalibrate us. Because why? The world seeks to uncalibrate us, to throw us off, 
to move the needle in another way. And God is constantly calling us back to remind us of the gospel. See, underneath number one, remember the situation of the different classes and people that were at the church. You see, it should have brought them together. Instead, it only divided them further. You see, this letter is a stinging, fill it in, it's a stinging rebuke. Now, there are churches where there are no stinging rebukes. There are churches you can go to, and you won't hear anybody talk about sin, and you won't hear anybody talk about the issues that are really demanding that you look at what God has done about your life and the fact that He is holy and we're called to live a holy life in Jesus Christ. And there are some people that will never say anything about the ways in which you will not do that. Well, that wasn't the Corinth church. The Apostle Paul is, is calling them to account. And I believe that any healthy church is going to deal with the things that are not of God because we are called to be the people of God under the sacrifice of God. And so this is an appropriate stinging rebuke. Number two, the Lord's Supper provides a time to remember. That's what it really is. It's all about remembering. And we see this theme. The theme of remembering is throughout the Old Testament, and we see it throughout the New Testament, and primarily we see it in the New Testament at the Lord's Supper. But God, human beings forget stuff. I mean, the older I get, the more I forget. I mean, do you know that? I mean, and in fact, you look at your small children, and you go, why did you do that? And they go, oh, no. Well, don't you remember that I told you this? And they go, uh-uh. And so, do you, do you have to tell your children one time how to do something or what to do or what not to do? No, there's a lot of things that you have to tell them over and over and over again. In fact, you need to set up ways to train them in this. So, you even set up parameters. You set up corrections. You set up rewards. You set up punishments so that they may learn what is right and what is true. And so when, you, when they get older and they say, well, mom and dad always taught us to do this. Mom and dad taught us to do that. Dad would always say this. Mom would always say that. You, and it's from remembering. And so here we see that this issue of remembering is very important for humans, especially humans in a fallen world. I, I want us to look and read verse 23 through 25 again, or 26. Eh, we're just going to look at verse 25 first. I want us to see, and I want you to notice this remembering. And on the screen, it will also be changed a little bit. Look at verse 23. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. This is from God. And that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took the bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said... This is my body, which is for you, underline it on your outline, do this in what? Remembrance of me. Very simple. Do this in remembrance of me. In verse 25, in the same way he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as oft as you drink it, what? in remembrance of me. Now, this is amazing. Fill this in underneath, underneath number two. Notice that this is the sole command given by Jesus concerning the Lord's Supper. When Jesus was telling us how to observe the Lord's Supper, this is the sole command that he gave. Jesus wants us to remember you see, the busyness, fill this in, the busyness of life requires 
pause points to remember what is important. And this is a big one. This, is, this should be one of the biggest or perhaps the biggest pause point in your life. If you're married, you occasionally need to go on a date. If you're married, you occasionally need to get away for a weekend or, or whatever. I mean, ditch the kids with somebody else and go be with your wife and go be with your husband and let it be a pause point. Let, it, let you come back and regroup. Marcy and I will take your kids, by the way. We'd love to have them. Um, but most of them. Um, <laughs> right? Most of them. She's saying all of them, so that's, that's good. Um, but we, have pa- we need pause points. We need pause points so that we remember what is important. And that's what this is. Have any of you ever had the thought, oh, the Lord's Supper? I, I confess that. I have come to church before, seen the table presented. And for whatever reason, in my immature mind, as a child or as a teenager or as a young man or whatever, oh, okay, that is blasphemous. That is wicked. When he's come and has laid down his life and I don't even want to remember. If that attitude were to persist, it would prove that I do not know the Lord. It would prove I have no idea what he did and no regard for it. May when we see the email or the text or when we come in and see the table, may we go, oh, yes. Pause points are important. Number three. The Lord's Supper is a time of proclamation of the Lord's death. This is right in the text. Look what the text says in verse 26. It says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim, circle that word on your outline, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. And so what we see here is that this is a proclamation of what God has done for us. Underneath number three, as the Lord's Supper is observed by Christians, it is hopefully heard by non-Christians. We see it and observe it, and those who are watching, hopefully they see it. Now, I want to be very clear. This table is not for those who do not know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. This table is only celebrating faith and hope in Jesus Christ. If you're kind of on the fence about Christianity, or maybe you've been invited and you're here, we want to say in every way that we welcome you, and we are so glad that you're here and you're listening and you're learning, but we also want to be careful that you understand that this table is only for those who say, I remember. I remember what he did for me. This, this table and this observance will not save you. There's only one thing that can save you, and it is faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, what He did on the cross of Calvary for you in your place. And it's the acceptance of that. But this table is only for those. So that's why it is inappropriate 
for anyone who is not a Christian to observe this table. You, we're going to see here that you're drinking judgment upon yourself. Listen to this. It is inappropriate to give this to your children who have not clearly come to faith in Jesus Christ. And most of us as Baptists would say that they need to have been obedient in baptism. They need to wait until they can appreciate the truth of this. So it's not a wise thing to, to go and to have your child share this yet if they have not yet come to the understanding of what it means. Now, you can have discussions, and this can bring about very good discussions as they're growing and as they're developing. You can talk about that, and it's, and it's a good thing. Now, we want to head off the thing of, well, I want to pray to receive Jesus so I can do that cool thing that you guys do. We, we, we have to, you have to talk them around that and, and go much deeper than that. But this is not for children who have not clearly come to faith in Jesus and who have not been baptized. There is a fencing of the table that is important. But what it does is, notice there underneath number three, our observance preaches the gospel to both believing and non-believing people. That's what it does. We, we are saying the, body the bread represents His broken body for us. The cup represents His shed blood for us. So it's preaching Jesus Christ. So notice also in verse 26, there's another curious little phrase there. Look at verse 4. The Lord's Supper is a temporary anticipatory ordinance or rite. What do I mean by that? A temporary anticipatory ordinance or rite. Notice what it says there. It says the words, until he comes, until he returns until he comes and finishes this age to the next age. We do this until he comes, and it proclaims the gospel until he comes. At first, Passover was only looking back, but when in exile, they added next year in Jerusalem. Here's the picture. The Jewish people were, they had come through the wilderness, they had been delivered, and they lived in the promised land, and then eventually they were hauled off into exile again. And they're off in Babylon, and while they're off in Babylon, they're yearning to be home. And when they would observe the Lord's Supper, for those who would observe, excuse me, when they would observe the Passover, they would hold up the cup and they would say, next year in Jerusalem. So they were longing to go home. They were longing to go home to Jerusalem. And so not only were they looking back to deliverance from Egypt, but then they were also saying, we can't wait to go home next year in Jerusalem. So this was an anticipation. Now for us as believers, for us as Christians, in this era after Christ, notice this with me, fill it in at the bottom there, the Lord's Supper looks back at the cross and forward to the return of Christ. When we observe this, we have two things to remember that has happened. Number one, that he has died for us, but number two, that he is returning for us. This helps keep us in the faith. And so it is an anticipatory of his great return, much meaning here. Number five, 
The Lord's Supper is a time of spiritual and moral self-examination. This is a time for us to recalibrate. Look at verse 27 through 29. I want us to read these again. Notice what it says in verse 27. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord, and you underlined it already, in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Look at verse 28. Let a person examine himself. Then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without, you already underlined it, discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. So obviously, it is the Lord's intention that knowing that we live in a fallen world, knowing that even as Christians, we can get distracted, we can become, we can have sin fouling us up, we can have a a long account with the Lord, not a short account with the Lord, but we can, we can build up a long account with the Lord. We know, He knows how Satan deceives us, He knows how our flesh deceives us, and how we can in undiscipline or in absolute rebellion against God, in all of these things, we can, we can build up this big heap of stuff in our heart against God. And part of the purpose of this table is for us to shed that. Part of us for this table is for us to be convicted that I need to go get something right with so-and-so. Or I need to call up my boss and, and give something back that I took. Or I need, to, I need to let go of this hostility that I have about this or about that. I need to give this to the Lord. Whatever the sin, whatever the idol that is there, we are called to judge ourselves with the Holy Spirit's help. And so what it means here, in ver- look up verse 27, whoever therefore eats or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, that doesn't mean that you ate it wrong or you drank it wrong in an unworthy manner. No, what the picture is here is that you have held something in your heart against God. Unworthy manner means without repentance, contrition, and faith. That's what that means. We come to the table in repentance, saying, Lord, You died for my foolish sin. You died for my rebellion. And I turn away. Notice the next part there in verse 29. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body. Discerning the body. What does that mean? Discerning the body of the Lord means carefully meditating on the sacrifice of Christ. That's what it means carefully meditating on it, carefully remembering that this bread represents the fact that his body was pierced for me. His heart stopped for me. He was was ridiculed. The king of the universe was ridiculed unto physical death for me. And his blood was poured out for me. You see, it's carefully remembering what Jesus has done, meditating on it. And so, I just want to say to you, you should never come to this table regarding sin in your heart. 
Some of you would say, I've done it many times. I don't see what the big deal is. Well, number one, that could be an attitude that is not regenerated, which which means that that could be an attitude of an unsaved person. It means you don't know the Lord. Or it could be an attitude that the Lord is about to straighten out. Because whom the Lord loves, he does what? He disciplines them. So he may be about to straighten you out about something. And that can come in a lot of different ways. The Lord does that, especially when there's, the Lord is moving on a congregation, moving in a church. Sometimes there's, there's dramatic things that happen. Notice with me, that leads us to number six. The Lord's Supper can be dangerous. The Lord's Supper can be dangerous. Look at verse 30. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the Lord. You see, the Lord in His goodness is still saving you. And so His true children are going to be disciplined, and sometimes it can be from not remembering what He has done. And it's not merely about the Lord's Supper, it's about your life. Whom the Lord loves, He chastens. You see, we can go back to Acts chapter 5 and remember that Ananias and Sapphira lied to the church about their gift. They said, oh yeah, we sold our property for this much and we gave this. And then he, he drops dead. And the people haul him out to go bury him. And here comes his wife and she tells the same lie. So they had colluded together in order to lie to the church. And so this is what happened. She drops dead. Now see, that was the Lord's grace and mercy on the church, helping the church to realize, I'm serious and I'm here. God many times has dealt with people around the table of the Lord. You see, we need to remember this, that judgment for God's true people is intended to lead them to repentance. Didn't we just study that in the book of Micah all the way through? I know you're trying to pack up, but just think about this first. Didn't we just study in Micah, the whole point of Micah was there is the judgment of God because of His holiness and our sin, but then there is, listen, there's also His mercy, and His mercy overwhelms for His people. His mercy overcomes His judgment. And that's the message for you today. Wherever you've been struggling, turn away from it. Repent of it. Confess it to the Lord and say, Lord, against you and you only have I sinned done what is evil in your sight. Give me the grace to live a life that is true and pure and that which is glorifying to you by faith. Maybe it's unbelief about your job. Maybe it's unbelief about the hardship that you've been dealing with. Maybe it's resentment towards someone or toward the Lord for something that you bear. My dear friends, run to the table, confess your heart, and say, if it were not for this, 
I would have no hope. Amen? Amen. Would you stand with me for prayer? Holy Father, I beg your Holy Spirit to come and deal with our hearts. Lord, I know that some of us have been really struggling with rightly observing the, your table. Lord, there's things in our heart perhaps that we don't think that we could ever let go of when You've been saying, just give it to me. Just give it to me. Turn to me. Repent of it. Confess it. Give me control. Maybe today you need to say, Lord, take this. I don't ignore it any longer. I don't act like it isn't there. Lord, I need to give this to you. Would you take this moment to examine yourself? Would you take this moment to remember the great price that was paid for your sin? Maybe some of you this morning have never surrendered your life to Christ and this is the moment for you. That Jesus died for you now seems to be clear and you have sensed his voice calling you to believe this morning. I want to encourage you to believe, even right now, where you stand at this moment, to say, Lord Jesus, no longer do I resist you. Lord Jesus, no longer do I hold my sin, but I lay down before you my life. I want to repent and believe upon Christ. Friend, if you are praying that prayer right now, I just want to encourage you before you leave this building today that you would come up on either side of this platform. There's people there that they want to talk to you about your relationship to God and, and how to run to him. Some of you would say, well, I've done all that before and I don't really need to talk to anyone. And I want to just challenge you that by a statement of faith and surrender to the Lord that you would come and talk to somebody because you do need brothers and sisters in Christ. You do need pastors to know what's going on with you to help you we need that and so I just want to encourage you to do that but for Christians that are just coming before this table saying Lord help me I, I pray that you father would give us grace to turn away from our sin and to remember that you paid for it all in Jesus name we come amen I'm going to ask, if you would, to pick up one of the little spray bottles that's right there um, and just pass that down the row. Uh, cleanse your hands. If you need to just go wash your hands, you can go wash your hands if you're afraid of the alcohol for some reason. You can do that. You may be seated now. We're going to sing. Our, our deacons are going to come and help lead us at this fellowship of the table this morning. You may be seated. <laughs>